I hope you have your Bibles, and if you do, will you open them with me to the book of Job, the Old Testament book of Job, chapter number 2, Job chapter number 2. Job chapter number 2. The series is Why Christianity? Reasons for Embracing the Christian Faith. And I've given you three reasons why I still embrace the Christian faith. Number one, I believe Christianity offers the best description for who God really is. This this almighty, all-powerful creator of the universe came out of heaven to earth, put on skin in order to show us who God is. No other religious faith teaches that. I believe that's who God is. Further, I I still embrace the Christian faith because I believe Christianity offers the best solution for my sin problem and my need for salvation. Every other religious faith says you have to work your way into salvation. Christianity says you you can try that, but it's not going to work. God has done all the work for you. It is a free gift of grace. You just receive it. That resonates with me. It resonates with what I believe is real and true. And then third... I still embrace Christianity because I believe Christianity offers the best solution to the problem of evil. That's a major problem. And the the solution that Christianity offers is that God on the cross took responsibility for evil. No other religious faith anywhere teaches that God did that. So those are my three reasons for still embracing the Christian faith. But anytime you deal with this subject of why Christianity, you also have to deal with the questions that, that people who are struggling with this issue will ask. And last week we began that process. Last week we talked about why should a person accept Christ, become a Christian when the church has been guilty of so many atrocities throughout history? It's a good question. And we dealt with that last week. Today I want to deal with the question, would a Christian God allow suffering? Would a Christian God allow suffering? Job chapter 2 beginning with verse number one. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, From roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him, He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then. He is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, You're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not evil? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. I'd like to take a little poll here, if you will, okay? Are you ready for this? Are you ready? Just a little unofficial poll. Is everybody in with me? If you believe that it is 
wrong, if you believe it is wrong for a Christian such as yourself to inflict suffering on another human being, if you believe that it is wrong to inflict suffering on another human being without any reason, raise your hand. Raise them high. See, I see some of you, you're, you're thinking, I don't want to answer this question. I don't really want to answer this question. Raise them again if you believe it's wrong to do that. Come on. Okay, thank you. What about a Christian God? Do you think if God is a Christian God, would he inflict suffering on someone or allow suffering on someone without any reason? Would a Christian God allow suffering? Now, theoretically, if I close my eyes to everything that's happening around me in my world, and if I never read the Bible and I close my eyes and I'm just thinking about God, a Christian God, somebody who acts like Christ, then theoretically I'm going to say, no, a Christian God would not allow suffering. But then when I open up my eyes to the world around me and I see all kinds of suffering going on, and when I read the Bible and I see some of the things that happen to people in the Bible, my conclusion has to be just the opposite of the one that I had when my eyes were closed. Because in our world and in God's Word, what we find is that a Christian God will allow suffering even if it is with no reason whatsoever. You say, well, I don't believe God would inflict suffering for no reason. That's exactly what he said he did with Job. He said to Satan, he, says, he said, Job re retains his integrity even though you have incited me to hurt him without any reason, he said. Check it. So the answer then is, yes, he would. Now, uh, when you deal with the, the existence of suffering, uh, the, the uh, suffering and evil, they're like twin brothers of different mothers. And, and if you go to try to find out why does evil even exist or why does suffering even, even exist, uh, you're going to have a hard time finding answers to that. I, I, I personally have not found any answers that I've ever found satisfactory to the question of why do those two twin brothers even exist at all. And so really... Because I, there are no answers that I can think of that are satisfactory to that question, what I have to deal with is, is there any benefit to God allowing suffering in our world? Is there any benefit that would result in him allowing suffering and motivate him to allow suffering in our lives? And so really, that's what I want to deal with. A few years ago, there was a, a certain church, true story, a certain church where the church members were given an assignment. Aren't you glad I don't give you any homework assignments? Actually, I do every week. Yeah. They gave every church member an assignment. Go home, and, and over the next week, go to all, all your neighbors that you can think of, family, friends, and ask them this question. Ask your neighbors. If you could ask God any question whatsoever... What would you ask him? What would you want to know? And so the church members went out and they asked their next door neighbors and people up and down the street and they asked their family members who live close by or within phone call distance. They asked some of their friends, if you could ask God anything at all, what would you want to know? And by far, the most frequently mentioned question was this, why is there suffering in this world? 
If you are God, and if you love us like you do, why is there suffering? If God is all-knowing, then he is aware of everything that goes on. If God is all-powerful, then he can prevent or correct anything and everything that is bad. And if God is completely loving, then he cares about everything that goes on, especially what goes on in your life. So then, why is there suffering? It's a, it's a deep question. It is a very hard question. When I look through the Bible, I find a lot of reasons or benefits for God allowing suffering. Bart Ehrman is a, a, Christ, a, a Bible teacher at the University of North Carolina. Uh, he's not a Christian, though. And he did a study on the issue of suffering, why, if there is a God, this God would allow suffering. And he searched the Bible to try to find out how the Bible writers reasoned suffering what reasons they gave for suffering and he listed five or six and concluded that those five or six were all contradictory they contradicted each other and therefore none of them could be true that's what he said as I looked at those and I really like Bart Ehrman but I disagree with him on the idea of them being contradictory what I find is that the Bible writers are just like you and me. They struggle with this issue of suffering. And what they did was they listed every conceivable reason from time to time that God will allow suffering. He doesn't always allow suffering for the same reasons. For instance, number one, sometimes uh, God will allow suffering because it is caused by our sin. Sometimes suffering is caused by sins we commit. Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They sinned in the garden, and the result of it was they were expelled from the garden. They experienced loneliness and isolation in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 4, Cain slew his brother Abel, and the result was that he had to go live in the land of Nod, wherever in the world that was, and he was alone, and he was fearful. He thought that uh, his life would be in danger. They, these all were suffering at the result of sin, as a result of sin. Sometimes you suffer because of somebody else's sin. You didn't commit the sin. Somebody else did, but you suffer for it. Uh, you remember Jonah in the Old Testament? Jonah, prophet, lived somewhere in the late 700s, early 600s B.C. He's an Israelite. The superpower of that day is Assyria. They were brutal. And God says to Jonah, he says, I want you to go to Nineveh, that great city, the capital of Assyria, and I want you to preach the gospel to them. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh for two reasons. Number one, he was afraid. I mean, walking through Nineveh, for an Israelite to walk through Nineveh would be like uh, an American who could only speak English walking through Osama bin Laden's cave on September the 12th, 2001. You just don't do it. And he was afraid to do it. Not only that, he hated them. I'm not saying he should have hated them, but he did hate them. And so instead of going to Nineveh, he goes 180 degree opposite direction, goes down to the Mediterranean coast, he charters a boat, gets on the boat, and they head out to sea. And God starts inflicting this ship of sailors with storms and waves. They're suffering, not because they sin, but because Jonah sinned. Sometimes you will suffer because of somebody else's sin. It doesn't sound right, but it is the truth. Second, sometimes we suffer as punishment for sin. 
God is not a God who will wink at our sin. He will punish us for our sin. Not only are there natural consequences to the sins that we commit, but God will punish us. He will uh, theologically spank us, if you will. And starting with Adam and Eve, and going all the way through the Old Testament and the New, there were instances over and over and over again of God's people disobeying God, committing sin, and God punished them for their sins. The prophets in the Old Testament were really big on this. How many times in the Old Testament do we find the prophets saying, look, you disobeyed God and so God brought drought, or you disobeyed God and God brought a pestilence. Joel, the Old Testament prophet, said you disobeyed God and God brought a locust swarm to punish you with. So Sometimes suffering comes as punishment for sin. Third, sometimes suffering comes because of the inhumanity of man to other men or the inhumanity of people to other people. The last third of the book of Genesis details the story of Joseph. He was one of the 12 uh, sons of Jacob and Joseph was sold into slavery by his other brothers and he was carried off into Egypt and from age 17 to age 30 for, for 13 years of his life he was either a slave in Egypt or he was imprisoned wrongfully in Egypt. He suffered because of the inhumanity of his brothers. And sometimes people suffer. God allows suffering, but it comes as a result of the inhumanity of other people. Right before and during World War II, millions of Jewish people suffered brutally at the hands of Adolf Hitler they did not deserve what they experienced. They did not ask for what they experienced. They did not experience it as the result of a sin they committed. It was the result of the inhumanity of one man and a, a nation that followed this man against another group of people. Fourth, sometimes suffering has a positive, redemptive aspect to it. That is... Suffering can build character in us. I'm not saying that God had to use suffering in order to build character. I'm simply saying that God does use suffering to build character in people. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 50 when uh, Joseph was released from prison and elevated to the vice presidency of Egypt that his brothers came back in and, and uh, the long story short, Joseph brings his whole family down to Egypt, and he saves them from famine, saves them from starvation. And after their father is, has died, Joseph's brothers come back, and they're afraid Joseph is going to punish them. And Joseph said this. He says, look, he said, fellas, you meant this for evil, but God used it and meant it for good to save many people and keep them alive. So you see, suffering has a redemptive aspect to it. We may not like it, and we may not be able to explain it, at least its origin and its existence, but one thing we can know is that God can use evil to bring out good. He even promises us as such in Romans chapter 28. You know, or Romans chapter 8, verse 28. You know the verse. Paul says, and we know that God works all things together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. 
Sometimes suffering has a redemptive aspect. Number five, sometimes suffering can be inflicted by God as a test of your faith. That evidently was part of the case with Job. It wasn't that Job had sinned and therefore suffered. It wasn't that somebody else sinned and therefore Job suffered. But rather God allowed Job to be suffered, to, be, to, to suffer in order to test his faith. Now this is a, a little hard to swallow, I got to tell you. But it does seem that that is part of the reason for God's allowing Job to experience what he was experiencing. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 1. He's talking about faith in Christ. He says, in this faith in Christ, chapter 1 verse 6, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These sufferings have come so that your faith may be proved genuine, and that it may result in praise. I remember in Genesis where uh, Abraham and Sarah, they have a son named Isaac in their old age. God gave them a son in their old age. And after several years, God told Abraham, he says, I want you to take Isaac, your son, your only son, and I want you to take him up on Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him there. And Abraham was willing to do it. Because he believed God would raise, even if he killed his son, he believed God would raise him back to life. And so he takes Abraham up on Mount Moriah and he ties him down and he takes a knife and he starts, he, he raises his hand and starts to come down with a knife to slay his son and God says, stop! Don't touch the boy for now I know that you trust me. Now you can read it in any translation you want to. It says, stop, don't touch the boy for now I know that you trust me. It was a test of faith Sometimes you and I will suffer because God is testing the legitimacy of our faith and trust in Him. Number six, sometimes suffering is caused by forces of evil and, there, and God is not responsible. One of, the, one of the best books to see this is the book of Revelation. It's called Apocalyptic Literature. Apocalyptic Literature is, is full of symbols and fantastic imagery. But one of the things you'll see in all apocalyptic literature, there is this constant battle between forces of evil and the forces of God. Forces of ungodliness and forces of right. And the forces of evil are constantly inflicting suffering on people. And there is no explanation for it other than the fact that the forces of evil are doing this. One thing that is a promise in all of apocalyptic literature, though, is this. And this gives us hope. God promises, in the end, to right every wrong, to wipe out every last shred of evil. That's a promise. In the book of Revelation, we read to the end and we see that God is victorious over evil. He battles Satan and he wins. In fact, Satan is already defeated. Now, he's running around. He's kind of like a snake that's had its head cut off, but it's still moving. And that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with an adversary who's already been defeated. His head has already been cut off, but he's still moving. And I'm looking forward to the day when he moves no more. Sometimes suffering is the result of the forces of evil. And then number seven, sometimes suffering is simply, and this is my favorite reason, sometimes suffering is simply an unexplainable part of life. One of my favorite books is the book of Ecclesiastes. 
Don't read it if you're depressed, though. It'll tear you up. It's the journal of a man looking for happiness in life. In his journaling, he tries everything and anything, and it brings him no happiness. What he finds out is that the things you've experienced, other people have experienced, life, whatever comes around, goes around. Whatever is now has been before. Whatever's been before, it'll happen again. And he comes down with regard to suffering. He comes down to the conclusion that sometimes you experience suffering and there is no observable reason for it. No good reason. And so the Bible gives all of these reasons for suffering or no reason for suffering. And we're left with a decision, what are we going to do with it? Now, I can abandon Christianity because of suffering in the world. I can. But I still have suffering in the world. Frederick Buckner said this. He says, he was talking about Job and Job trying to get answers to the evil and suffering in his life. He says, for God to try to explain the kind of things Job wants explained would be like Einstein explaining relativity to a little neck clam. It'd be like you trying to explain the concept of God to a bunch of ants on an anthill in your yard. Philip Yancey, one of my favorite authors, who's not afraid to ask questions. That's what I like about him. He said this, he says, maybe sometimes God keeps us in the dark about why not so much because he wants to keep us in the dark as because he knows that we are incapable of absorbing so much light. I read the book of Job. Job chapters 1 and 2, they're hard to take, man. They're hard to take. One of the first times I ever read Job chapters 1 and 2, I stopped right there and I prayed. And here's what I prayed. I said, God, please don't ever engage in a conversation with Satan about me. Please don't. And God said, I won't. Job was perfect. Beginning with Job chapter 3, Two things happen. One, Job's three and then later a fourth friend come and, and they say, Job, the reason you're suffering is because you've sinned. They thought that all sin was because all suffering was due to sin that was committed. They were wrong. They were partially wrong. Some suffering is due to sin, but not all of it. They said, Job, all of yours is due to sin in your life. And Job says, well, I don't know what it is. I, I just tell me what it is. And, and the second thing that was happening in chapters 3 through 38 is is Job was crying out to God for a hearing before God. God, show me why. Show me why this is happening to me. And for 35 chapters, God doesn't say a single word. And finally, in chapter 39, God speaks up. And when he does, I don't know if you've read this. You probably have. I'm sure you have, maybe. God's response to Job is, I don't know any other way to put it. It sounds arrogant to me. Job, where were you when I hung the stars? Tell me. Answer me if you will. Where were you when I hung the earth and the sun and the moon and the galaxies? 
Can you talk to the Leviathan? Tell me, Job. And he goes for three chapters like that. And he never answers why he suffered. In fact, we leave the book of Job, and Job never knows why he suffered, and he doesn't know the fact that that his suffering was the result of God and Satan kind of bargaining with each other. Job never knows that. You and I know it because we're reading it. Job never knows the reason for it. And I'm reading God's three-chapter response to Job, and, and I come away thinking, that's a very unsatisfactory response to me. I don't find it very satisfying. But listen to this. Are you with me? Listen to this. But Job did. I don't find God's response satisfying, but Job did. In Job chapter 42, here's Job's response to God. He says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, Job desperately wanted to know why he was suffering and he wanted to know who was the cause of it. He never got the answers to those two questions, but he did get the answer to a question that for him was more important than the other two. And it was this, is there a God? And the answer that Job got was not, well, let me tell you why you're suffering, and let me tell you what's behind your suffering. That's not the answer he got. The answer he got was, Job, is it enough for you that I'm alive and I exist and I'm your God? And for Job, it was enough. It was enough. It didn't answer all the questions. Ladies and gentlemen, when you and I are suffering and you're desperate for answers, Let's just just lay it on the table right now. You will never get all the answers you want. But if you are a child of God and you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, one thing that you will get, you will get the accompanying presence of a God who has eternally existed and who will give his full attention to you. I can't tell you a good reason for why you will suffer in your life. But I can tell you that God is. And I can tell you that even though we might not totally like it, because it doesn't give give us all the answers, I can tell you it is enough. So let me leave you with two statements, okay? If you're thinking, or if you know of someone who's, a thinking, who's thinking of abandoning Christianity because of suffering in the world, let me say this. Abandoning Christianity will not solve your problem of evil. You can abandon, you can, just, you can just dump truck Christianity right out the door, and without it, you'll still have evil to grapple with. Only, you will not have as good answers as Christianity offers to help you with it. And the second thing I think that is important to know, that in the end, what really matters is that God is. Let me ask you something. I I, I know that probably most of you may not ever even struggle with the issue of suffering and how can a God, a Christian God, allow it. Maybe you don't, I don't know. I don't know where you are. But maybe the best question is not so much why is there suffering. The best question is this. Are you ready for it? Where are you in your walk with God? Where are you with God? How are you and God doing? 
Do you know him as your Savior? Has there been a time in your life when you consciously invited him into your heart? And if you have, let me ask you, how are you and God doing? You talking with him frequently? Do you have a deep relationship with him? Is it intimate? Is it strong? Or is it kind of brittle? I've had times when my, my, my relationship with God was, well, it was brittle, kind of flaky. Then there have been times when it was really strong. Where are you in your relationship with God? We're going to have a time of invitation in which if you've never received Christ, let me tell you, the most important thing that you can do for yourself is to come to this altar of prayer and say, Jesus, I don't understand all this stuff, but I know I need you in my heart to be my Savior. And you'll have the opportunity to do that right now. If you already are a Christian, but you need to deepen your faith, you need a stronger faith, you need to make a recommitment of your life to Christ, will you do that? Maybe somebody here needs to join this church. Would you do that? What do you need to do today? You know. You know. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, I believe that you want to know some people here today. I believe there's some folks you want to whose hearts you want to come into and bring life to them, spiritual life. I believe you want to be somebody's savior this morning. I believe there are some Christians that you want to be a whole lot closer to than you've been. And you're willing, you're ready. You're waiting for us. Lord, I pray that our hearts now will be open our wills will be relinquished to you. Lord, help us to know that we may never get every question answered to our satisfaction. But Lord, help us to know that if we did get every question answered to our satisfaction so that we could understand it, what kind of God would you be? Lord, you're unlimited, you're infinite you're incomprehensible you're inexplicable and your love is abundant Lord help us to respond to your call right now in this place, I pray in Jesus name Amen